0: Hi, I'm Leslie Lutie, host of the Set Apart podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. We've been going through some episodes on spiritual lessons from the life of Amy Carmichael, one of my missionary heroes, and today I want to build upon that theme by talking about our backyard mission field. So often we equate missionary work with going overseas and being on foreign soil, and yet we are living in a modern Western society that is just full of incredible mission fields. So I want to take a look at that a little more closely in this episode. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know about our Daily Thunder podcast series, which you can learn about at ellersley.com. You can click on the Daily Thunder tab, or you can go to Ellersleycom forward slash daily, or you can click the link in the description for this podcast. This is a daily podcast where you'll hear speakers like Eric Ludy Nathan Johnson, myself, and it's just that daily dose of bold spiritual truth. It can be such an encouragement. And we've been going through a series on that podcast about missions work in interior New Guinea, and it's been so powerful, so inspiring. And even for those of us who aren't going to be missionaries overseas, there are so many spiritual lessons that are powerful and applicable for our lives today. So I encourage you to check out that. Daily Thunder podcast. Also, if you're looking for a season to come away with Jesus and be trained and deepened in your spiritual life, I encourage you to look at the discipleship programs that we have coming up in 2022. You can learn about those at ellerslie.com. You can also go to setapartgirl.com and learn more about our online mentoring program and our print magazine that comes out four times a year. Lots of resources to help you go deeper with Jesus Christ this year. So let's dive into the topic of finding and identifying and investing into our backyard mission fields. I think it is so important to reiterate the fact that all of us are called to be missionaries. There are so many scriptures that make this clear. It's really easy to think, well, missions work is only for people who are full-time, sent out by a mission board, living in some foreign country, without remembering that all of us have been commissioned to share the gospel with our lives, to go and disciple all nations, to bear fruit for his kingdom, to build his kingdom wherever we go, wherever we are. It says in John 15, 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I love that scripture because it's talking about the fact that God chose us and appointed us for this task. It's not a duty or an obligation or something we have to do. It's a privilege to be called according to his purpose to help him build the kingdom of God. So I want to start out by sharing with you a personal story. For when Eric and I felt called to overseas missions and God actually pulled us back and said, I want you to invest yourself in the mission fields that are right in your own backyard. And that was hard for me because I felt like it would be more exciting, more adventurous to be overseas as a missionary. Sometimes it feels a little less spiritual or a little less adventurous to be called to our own country, our own people, our own community, our own culture. To fight for the glory of God in our own community, in our own country, requires a special kind of divine grace. Even though there are incredible dangers and hardships and discomforts from being a foreign missionary, it's a whole different set of, of difficulties that we face when we feel called to invest within our own country. Because when we're in the middle of the jungle somewhere, we can't quite lose our reputation among friends and family the same way we do when we stand for the glory of God on our own soil. And a lot of us would rather face a nine foot spear in the jungle as a lot of the early missionaries to New Guinea faced, rather than hostility from those in our own culture who really hate everything that we stand for. Even standing for truth among among Christians today in our culture can be intimidating. Christians who don't really want to radically go after Jesus. So I can relate to this because when Eric and I were first married, we felt really called to medical missions and we were preparing practically. Eric was going to finish medical school. He had already gotten some of his pre-med degree out of the way. I was looking into nursing school and we just felt like that was what we were going to do. And right around that time, our first book on godly relationships came out. It wasn't something we set out to do or envisioned doing and we're going to write books on purity in relationships. But we were asked so many times to share about our love story. We made a lot of unusual decisions. And finally, we wrote our love story down in a book thinking that that would help because we could just give that book to people rather than constantly repeat our story. And it did help with that. But it also opened a lot of doors for us to go and share our story and share our testimony in the area of purity and relationships to churches, youth groups, conferences. And I remember God really pressing us that we should say yes to these opportunities but not really wanting to because I didn't want to trade the calling to be a foreign missionary a missionary in a foreign country for being a relationship speaker in my own country. It just didn't sound as spiritual, didn't sound as exciting. I felt like only strange people spoke on relationships. That was a long time ago. And there weren't very many people speaking on relationships at that time. And so it just really wasn't what I was excited to do. And I remember Eric asking me, what if God called us to do this full time? And my immediate response was, no way. I don't want to do this full time. But then, the very first speaking event that we shared our story at was about 700 teens at this youth group kind of mega church situation. And they really didn't seem like they wanted to hear us. I felt like most of them were there because somebody forced them to be there. So I was kind of gritting my teeth and just trying to get through those couple nights of speaking. But I was really shocked by the the end of the second night when I sat down to kind of play the piano during the closing challenge that Eric was giving. I just wanted to to leave. I didn't think there would be any response, but I looked up from the piano and there were young people on their faces, weeping, surrendering. It was happening all over the auditorium. There were hundreds of them on their faces, just really dealing with God, giving their lives fully to God for the first time, many of them, and so many of them said, you know We were we were waiting for a message like this, and I was so surprised, and yet it was God's way of confirming to me, here's a mission field right in your own backyard. It's a mission field that I don't want you to overlook. An entire generation that is so hungry, even within the church, just so hungry for the power, the glory, the simplicity of the gospel. They're used to being entertained. They're used to being spoken to in a very shallow way, and they need the truth of Jesus Christ. We began to see that response everywhere we went, and soon it became a a joy and a delight to challenge these young people in our generation to give everything to Jesus Christ. But that was the first time we felt called to a backyard mission field, and it wasn't it wasn't a cop-out of saying, well, we wanna stay here to protect our own comforts. It was really a step of obedience and even of surrender, saying, I'm willing to surrender these, these hopes and these dreams to go overseas and say yes to these doors that God is opening right in front of me and I'll pour myself out for this calling. Another time that God called us to that was right before we started Ellerslie, our discipleship training school. We were really feeling like we were supposed to come off the road. We'd been speaking for 10 years or so, Traveling and speaking and felt like we were in a new season of life. We were starting a family and thought maybe this is the time we're supposed to go to the mission field. And as we prepared to for the second time to move overseas and be full-time missionaries, we began to really feel that God was impressing upon us a verse from Revelation 3, 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, and that was God's word to us for where the Western church, the American church was at, that there are those glimmers of passionate Christianity, those who are ready to follow radically after Jesus, but they desperately need that spiritual strength because the church in America, by and large, is weak and apathetic, and it needs to be strengthened before it dies, and so we felt very called to that, and again, had to sort of die to those hopes and dreams of going to the mission field and say yes to a mission field right in our own backyard, and so for the past 11 years, We have been so privileged to see God bring the body of Christ from all over our country and even other countries right to our doorstep and we can invest into them spiritually and strengthen them spiritually so they can go and live out the calling of God on their lives with that true foundation of spiritual strength. Again, another way that God has said, I want you to pour into the mission field right in your own backyard. We often over-spiritualize the idea of going overseas as missionaries. We think that gospel work on a foreign soil is somehow more valid than gospel work here at home. But in reality, gospel work is vital in both places. And so whether we are called to go or to stay, obedience is what matters. As it says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And basically what that verse is saying is you can do something that looks or sounds really spiritual, but if it's not obedience to where God has called you, it's not where God wants you to be. I want to share with you a few stories from missionaries in the past that have made that decision to invest in the mission fields right in their own backyards and how powerful that decision has been in their lives and in Christian history. And the first one is George Mueller. He is that famous missionary in England who raised so many thousands of orphans and ran his orphanage ed- and ran his orphan ministry entirely on faith. He has some incredible biographies. He's written an autobiography. And he lived in England in the mid 1800s. There was a moment in his young ministry, his young ministry life, marriage and ministry life, where he chose to to say no to foreign missions in order to say yes to a mission field that was right in his own backyard. And it was actually such a pivotal moment for the rest of his life. It was at a time when he had a thriving preaching ministry all throughout England, but he was feeling a growing burden to pour himself out on behalf of the lost and the needy. His brother-in-law, whose name was Anthony Groves, had an amazing ministry overseas in Baghdad. And every time he heard about it, the life of a foreign missionary just sounded so much more adventurous than that of a pastor. Pastor in England. One day, George Mueller received a letter from Baghdad with 200 pounds so that he and his family and his ministry colleague could come and be full time missionaries there. The need in Baghdad was great, and God seemed to be opening a door and providing a way, so they began to make plans to go. He was very excited. And then one afternoon, he was visiting a member of his church congregation in the poorest part of Bristol, England. The streets were muddy and dreary. There was poverty everywhere, destitution everywhere. And a little girl came up to him about five years old with a toddler on her back who was wearing only a torn pair of trousers. She asked him for a shilling. And he found out that her mother had died from cholera. There had recently been a huge cholera epidemic that had swept the city and really taken the lives of of many thousands of people. So she had lost her mother in that and her father had gone to the mines and never returned. So here were these two really young children completely on their own. George gave her the shilling and his heart was strangely searched. So here is an excerpt from the autobiography that, that relays this story. As George gave her the shilling, his heart was strangely stirred. He had seen little children like this every day during his ministry in Bristol, but now is, it was like he was seeing them for the first time. What would happen to those two little children? Was anyone out there who could care for them? Was there any hope for their future? He thought about the fact that there were thousands of children in this same hopeless situation all around the streets of Bristol. And they were treated sort of like worthless by society. People were trained to ignore them, tune them out, or look at them as problems. As George walked along the muddy streets, he came to a decision. He didn't need to go to the mission field in Baghdad or anywhere else. He was standing in the middle of a mission field. Surely there could be no more needy people in the world than these helpless little children. Baghdad might sound foreign and exciting, but there was also work to be done in dirty, overcrowded Bristol, England. He did not know how to go about it or what a lone person could do with no regular income, but he knew one thing, with God's help, he would do something to help the poor homeless children of Bristol. His pledge was this, God has a mission field for me right here and I will live and die in it. Now, the fruit of that decision, over George Mueller's lifetime, he took full responsibility for the care of over 10,000 orphans. He provided education for 120,000 children. He established 117 schools. He ran his orphan homes with such incredible excellence that even the famous author Charles Dickens, who came to visit unexpectedly, was so impressed, he told everybody what he had seen. George Mueller provided so many educational opportunities For underprivileged children that he was even accused by some of raising the poor above their natural station in British life. When he died, it was said of him by the public newspapers and broadcast all around the world, that George Mueller had robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims, the jails of thousands of felons, and the poor houses of thousands of helpless waifs. And how had he done this? The Liverpool Mercury paper wrote, how was this wonder accomplished? Mr. Mueller has told the world what it was, the result of prayer. The rationalism of the day will sneer at this declaration, but the facts remain. So even the secular media was taking notice of how astounding this man's life was. And it all stemmed from that one decision to say, Lord, I see the mission field right in my own backyard and I will fully invest myself into this. Another powerful story that I've told in other podcast episodes here is the story of Frank Jenner, who recognized the mission field on George Street in Sydney, Australia. He lived and worked in Sydney, Australia. He had given his life radically to Jesus as a young military serviceman, and he wanted to now share the hope and the life of Christ with others. He was working on George Street in Sydney, Australia during the time of the Second World War, and he would often see these military men and women get off the ship at Sydney Harbor and come and have a few days off in the city, and then return back to the war. And he knew for so many of them, it was a life or death situation. They may be going off to that war and never coming back. And so he began to feel the urgency to share the gospel with them. So he made a commitment that he would witness, share the gospel with at least 10 people a day for as long as he had the strength to do so. And he did that for 28 years years. He would leave his workplace in the afternoon and walk down the the road to George Street and begin handing out tracts. He would ask people a question, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? And he had no idea. He just faithfully did this for 28 years. And for so many years, he had no idea whether this witnessing was actually making any kind of a difference. It wasn't until a traveling minister named Francis Dixon began traveling the world and hearing so many people's testimonies start with this this encounter with this little man on George Street in Sydney, Australia, and they said, he asked me this question, he handed me this track, I couldn't get his question out of my mind, I sought out a Christian, and I be I gave my life to Jesus. And so many people on like five different continents would would trace it, their salvation back to that one conversation. And so Francis Dixon finally came to see Frank Jenner at the end of his life, And he was, Frank Jenner was so overwhelmed at the fruit of this, this faithful witnessing because for all he knew, it hadn't really made much of a difference. But for 28 years, he faithfully cultivated that, that mission field on George street in Sydney, Australia. And it is estimated that during Frank's lifetime, he reached over 100,000 people with the gospel. That is more than most pastors and missionaries would ever think of reaching in their lifetime. Thousands responded to the gospel as a result of this simple little man who just went down the road and handed out tracks every day he, that he could for 28 years. And so many of the people that he won went on to become pastors and missionaries who continued to share the gospel all around the world. What an incredible example of investing into a mission field right in your own backyard. The third story is David Wilkerson. You might recognize his name from his book, The Cross and the Switchblade. There's a movie made about it, sort of a classic Christian book that's been around since the 70s. But his story is really, really powerful as far as investing into a very scary mission field right in his own backyard. It wasn't exactly in his own backyard, but it wasn't very far from where he was living. He was a simple country preacher investing himself in a small rural community in Pennsylvania. And he was challenged by God to use his recreation time every night, which was just a time of sitting and watching the news and watching TV a couple hours every night after his family had gone to bed to, to kind of give that up and exchange that time for prayer. So he sold his TV, It would kind of put a test out before God, okay, Lord, I'm going to put my TV up for sale in the newspaper. And if somebody calls within 30 minutes and offers to buy it, I'll know this is from you. And his wife said, you're not giving God much time to work. But someone did buy his TV within 30 minutes. And so he began, to use those evenings in prayer and it led to him looking at a life magazine during one of his prayer times just just a life magazine laying on the desk caught his attention and he said this at first glance it seemed that there was nothing on the page to interest me it carried a pen drawing of a trial taking place in New York City 350 miles away I'd never been to New York, and I never wanted to go, except perhaps to see the Statue of Liberty. I started to flip the page over, but as I did, my attention was caught by the eyes of one of the figures in that drawing, a boy, one of seven boys on trial for murder. The artist had caught such a look of bewilderment and hatred and despair in his features that I opened the magazine wide to get a closer look, and as I did, I began to cry. What's the matter with me, I said aloud, impatiently brushing away a tear. I looked at the picture more carefully. The boys were all teenagers. They were members of a gang called the Dragons. Beneath their picture was the story of how they had gone into Highbridge Park in New York and brutally attacked and killed a 15-year-old polio victim. The story revolted me. It turned my stomach. In our little mountain town, such things seemed mercifully unbelievable. That's why I was dumbfounded by the thought that suddenly sprang into my head full blown as as if it had come into my mind from somewhere else. Go to New York City and help those boys. I laughed out loud. Me? Go to New York? A country preacher barged into a situation he knows less than nothing about? Go to New York City and help those boys. And so that thought continued to grow in his heart and his mind until he finally left his little town and went to try to reach those boys during their trial. And it, started this incredible story of God opening doors for him to reach these very troubled gang members in inner city New York. So he was transformed from this comfortable, predictable country preacher into one of the most unlikely missionaries in our modern time, a man who really radically changed the culture of the gangs in inner city New York in that time for the glory of God. What an amazing picture of investing into the mission field, right in his own backyard, in his own country. Now, this story especially can speak to those of us who look around at where our country and our culture and our communities are headed and think you know, I want nothing to do with that. I'm revolted. I'm, I'm disgusted by the way things are going, by how godless our society is becoming, how antagonistic they are toward the gospel. I think I'll just stay in my little bubble of comfort and not deal with that. David Wilkerson went straight into a situation that he felt very ill-equipped for, but he, he knew God had called him to go and he knew God would be with him. And for so many of us, that is exactly the kind of yes, Lord, He's asking for us, are we willing to invest into these difficult mission fields right in our own backyard? We are not living in a society that is moral and values Christian beliefs anymore. We are living in the middle of a mission field. Do we have eyes to see the mission fields that are all around us? If we begin to pray the prayer, Lord, give me eyes to see what you see, Our lives will change because think about George Mueller he saw those street children for the very first time when that little girl asked for a shilling he had seen them without really seeing them in previous months and years but once he had the heart of God he saw them as God saw them and that's when he got the vision to stand up for Bristol's orphans David Wilkerson saw the gang members as God saw them not just an interesting story in life magazine but real people that God desperately cared about and wanted to reach And he gained the burden of God for these young people. Frank Jenner saw the soldiers, the young men and women going off to the war and saw the state of their souls that so many of them would never have a chance to hear the gospel before they died. When we begin to pray that prayer, Lord, give me eyes to see what you see. We begin to see the mission fields right in our own backyards. A few mission fields that are all around us right now. Think about the unborn. Approximately 53,310,000 babies have been aborted in this country since Roe versus Wade. And that's nearly one in four U.S. women will have at least one abortion in their lifetime. And often they're pressured or they're coerced into making that decision. That is a huge mission field. But again, it's intimidating and a lot of us have no clue what to do or even just take the foster care system. 700,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and about 80% of inmates serving time in U.S. prison have come out of that system. Again, an enormous mission field that many of us don't know how to reach. Or trafficking victims is happening right in our own country. There are more human slaves in the world today. A large majority, young women and gr- girls, enforce prostitution. More slavery in the world today than even in the days of William Wilberforce. Are we willing to reach that mission field for the glory of God or the unreached all around us in our own towns, in our own families, in our own communities? Approximately 150,000 people die every day without knowing Jesus Christ what are we willing to do to see them rescued? And of course, there are the antagonistic groups that seem impossible to reach for the glory of God. They seem so antagonistic to the gospel. But I love what William Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army, he used to say, go after souls and go after the worst. His philosophy was go into a community and go after the ones that that are the hardest to reach. And when God's power triumphs in their life, other people will stand back and wonder and want to know more about the gospel. And you saw that happen time and time again. Again, in the ministry of the Salvation Army, my question and challenge for all of us today, are we willing to make ourselves available for these mission fields, not just for foreign missions, but for the mission fields right in our own backyard? There is an incredible challenge that we are all facing today we are not living in a god-fearing society anymore and i remember reading in the book peace child this is something that eric has talked about in the daily thunder podcast he's been going through some excerpts from the book peace child where don richardson went into interior new guinea in the 60s and it was such an anti-god society that he didn't really know if he could make much of a difference there. And when he first arrived there, this is sort of what the the jungle seemed to say to him. Your idealism means nothing here. Your Christian gospel has never scrupled the conscience of my children. You think you love them, but wait until you know them if you ever can know them. You presume you're ready to grapple with me, understand my mysteries, and change my nature. But I'm easily able to overpower you with my gloom, my remoteness, my heedless brutality, my indolence, my unashamed more my my total otherness. Think again before you commit yourself to certain disillusionment. Can't you see I am no place for your wife? I am no place for your son. I am no place for you. And after Don Richardson grappled with that intimidation tactic, he responded this way. It's only a bluff, I thought. This swamp is also part of my father's creation. His providence can sustain us here as well as anywhere else. Then the peace of God descended on me, and suddenly this strange place became home, my home. I turned to Ken and John and said, this is where I want to build. Now, if you translate that same type of scenario to what we're facing in 2021, we might hear a similar message from our culture. I am not like your tame, manageable America of the 1950s. Your idealism means nothing here. Your Christian gospel has never scrupled the conscience of my children. You think you want to reach them, but wait until you know them if you ever can know them. You presume you're ready to grapple with me, understand my mysteries, and change my nature, but I am easily able to overpower you with my control, my intimidation, my heedless disregard of truth, my indolence, my unashamed debauchery, and my total otherness. Think again before you commit yourself to certain dissolution. Can't you see I am no place for you? And here is our response to those lies that come against us when we think about reaching our own culture. It's only a bluff. This country and these people are also part of my father's creation. His providence can sustain me here as well as anywhere else. If you and I are willing to call that bluff, the peace of God can descend upon us just like it descended upon Don Richardson in the interior jungle of New Guinea, and it can cause this chaotic culture all around us to become our mission field. For many of us, this is right where we're called to build the kingdom of God. Now that's not to discount the value of going overseas to serve there if that's where God's called you, but I also want to challenge you to adopt a missionary mindset right where you are even in your own culture. If you don't know where to begin, remember that it often starts with one step of obedience, not necessarily to have everything figured out for the next five or 10 years, but a one simple yes, Lord. George Mueller said yes to that little girl in Bristol. Frank Jenner said yes to handing out that first track on George Street in Sydney, Australia. And David Wilkerson said yes, Lord, when he first saw the picture of that troubled boy on trial for murder. What is our one simple yes, Lord, he's calling us to today? Remember that amazing scripture from John 15, 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So let's ask God to show us the mission fields right at our own backyard and cultivate a missionary mindset starting today right where we are. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into these concepts, check out our Daily Thunder podcast at ellersley.com forward slash daily, or go to setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there on living a set apart life for Jesus Christ. I pray you have a blessed and christ centered week.